What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you, Scott, and hello, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Let's call this the wall of winning. Stocks, oil, commodities, cryptos, metals, all rocket in the free world. Can this commodity boom continue to blast off, or will it turn into a big old bust? Saving youth sports and maybe a coach's sanity. We'll speak with NFL great Russell Wilson about his new venture to make sure all you weekend coaches are true superstars for the kids. And the grocery store frontline battle. Why are some companies having to pay their workers to get vaccinated? All that, plus why Madison, Wisconsin, not Austin, may be the new Silicon Valley. There's a lot to do. Welcome, everybody. But we will begin once again with the markets and your money and things they really are looking up in 2021. No, that's not an opinion because the price for nearly every single asset class is up in 2021. Of course, most of you follow stocks. So here's how the year is shaking out so far. Dow's up 2%. Eh. Other indexes up nine, but the real star is the small caps. The Russell 2000 up 16% just this year and up nearly another 1% today. But it is not just stocks that have been making a lot of investors a lot of money this year. Look at our wall of winning. This is just this year. Ethereum, more than double. Bitcoin, up 60%. Everybody loves oil again. Crude, up 20%. Even hot rolled steel, as opposed to cold flat steel, is up 20%. Corn, rising again today, up 15%. It's popping. And platinum, up 11%. And remember, folks, those numbers are only this year, basically, what, six weeks of trading? Everything's up. So the question is, where do we go from here? We've got a lot of year left. Joining us now is John Augustine, Chief Investment Officer at Huntington Private Bank. John, I mean, this is a continuation of what we saw at the end of last year. I know we've got some good news on the vaccines, great news that cases and hospitalizations are doubt. Stimulus is coming, but did you expect the year, even with all that, to really start off like this? We we did, Brian, and, and hello to you. It's good to see you even virtually. But we did see it starting like this. We started making moves into small caps and in emerging markets and stocks in general last August, and we did it again in November. So we did see it coming because we had faith in the vaccines. To us, this all changed on November 9th. It's continuing. This the stimulus is continuing. There are some laggard areas we can still go into that that our investment strategy team is looking at. But Brian, yeah, we we kind of did see it coming. Well, good for you and good for your clients, certainly. But you know what? I want to buy low and sell high, or I guess buy high and sell higher, as Joe Terranova might say, and actually wrote about. So. Give us a preview. Tell us where your investment team is still seeing some perhaps underpriced assets. 
ask. So kind of kind of three areas. You talked about all the areas up in the stock market. Well, there are sectors that are still lagging. There are always going to be individual stocks and sectors providing opportunities. So staple sector, utility sector, industrial sector. Our equity team is looking for opportunities there. So that's three sectors somewhat that are lagging. We're looking in each one of those for ideas. The second area is the area that's arguably had the most virus management issues now, which is Europe. Uh, EFA, that index, MSCI EFA, is lagging quite noticeably. That may be able to make up ground second half of this year. We don't know yet, but it's virus management there. Then the third area to us is Bitcoin has a giant vacuum cleaner out now over gold. So we're actually looking at gold. We use gold and silver in combination for defense. But now that the relationship Uh between the two is getting as such, gold may be an opportunity as this money growth potential inflation comes at us. So those are three areas, Brian, that we're looking at middle of this year, second half of this year. Okay, good stuff there as everything booms. Let's bring in now, speaking of booms, Alan Boomer, Chief Investment Officer at Momentum Advisors, joining us now on the phone. Alan, glad glad to have you in here. Uh, You heard the conversation. Maybe you saw the wall of winning. I mean, everything is up. Is there any place that you are still finding some value? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. And yes, there, this is a little bit of, of sort of a euphoria. There's, there's a party going on in a lot of places. And so where I'm looking is really the places that the stocks that have missed the party. I'm looking for companies that did not rally much last year, that haven't rallied much this year, but where I think there's a lot of value. Like when I'm looking to buy earnings and earnings growth, I don't want to overpay. I want to buy companies that have been overlooked by the market. So one area that I'm looking, it's, it's that um, pharmaceutical companies that are not involved in COVID drugs. Like you look at Bristol-Myers Squibb, Bristol-Myers uh, is a company that is involved in a, a lot of important drugs, but they're just not as sexy today. They're involved in prostate cancer drugs and drugs around blood clots and rheumatoid arthritis, things that really don't get a lot of attention today. But this is a company that, that's trading at 13 to 14 times earnings. Like they, they pay out only a quarter of their earnings in, in dividends, and yet they still have a 3% dividend yield. So I, I love Bristol-Myers. You've also got Regions Financial. But by the way, I think a, sort of a competitor to, to John's parent company, Huntington Bank. Are, are, you, are you encouraged by the yield curve, by the rise in 10 years, a recovering economy, or D, all the above, Alan? Yeah, I think it's all the above. You know, when I think about the banks, they were really beaten down during COVID, especially the, the regional bank. The view that a lot of their customers, especially their, their, their commercial customers, were impaired because of their leases, uh, because of, you know, business being, being slow. And so when you think about these regional banks, for one, they've already made um, adjustments in, in the form of, um, you know, the way they estimate their losses. And I think the losses are going to be a lot uh, 
they're not going to be as bad as what they've already accounted for. And so a lot of the regional banks are trading at a discount to their book value or right at book value when historically they trade at a premium. And so I love that Regions has almost a 4% dividend yield, and I love that the stock hasn't done that well. I mean, really, in the fourth quarter, it started to rally, but you look at last year, it was kind of a dud for the banks, and so I like Regions. Alan Boomer, John Augustine, we appreciate your views, gentlemen, both on the wall of winning. Guys, appreciate that. All right, well, for maybe a different take on the short-term market anyway, analysts at Bank of America say they're expecting a correction of 5 to 10% before the end of the first quarter, but any correction would be a buying opportunity for investors. For more on that call, head over to cnbc.com pro. All right, outside of the business world, most of the nation's eyes and focus will be on Washington, D.C. today. Well, the second impeachment process of Donald Trump began just a few minutes ago, and it began with a debate followed by a vote on the overall constitutionality of the trial. For more on what we can expect, let's bring in Eamon Javers. Eamon. Yeah, Brian, that's right. Take a live look now at the floor of the United States Senate where history is being made. This is the first time we have ever seen a Senate impeachment trial for a former president of the United States. They got underway just a couple of minutes ago. And here's what we know as of right now about what to expect so far today. Aides uh, to the House impeachment managers said today that they have secret new evidence that nobody has seen before that they're prepared to present during the course of this trial. So uh, no indication what that evidence might be. A lot of speculation in Washington, a lot of people uh, anxious to see what that might be and if it can sway any votes here on what seems like a largely uns swayable vote. And that's why the uh, former president, uh, Donald Trump, has been telling aides and allies he expects an acquittal here when this process is over and done with, as do most everybody else in Washington, D.C. For the current president of the United States, Joe Biden, it is business as usual. They're trying to suggest that uh, they're not spending a lot of time focusing on this impeachment trial. They at the White House are focused on the American rescue plan, the economy and COVID. So what are we going to see for the rest of the day today? Well, it's that debate you just mentioned. Brian, on constitutionality, the threshold question of whether or not it is constitutional to hold a trial for a former president of the United States. Those arguments are going to go for about four hours, two hours on each side. If a simple majority is not reached on that, then the trial is simply dismissed. But uh, ultimately, this trial is expected to continue largely because we've seen some Republican senators vote on this idea of constitutionality before. We expect they will get over that threshold. uh, But the betting is not over the 67 vote threshold needed to convict the former president. And then the question would be, would he be barred from future office if convicted? So those are two uh, more difficult thresholds for these Democratic House impeachment managers to make. Uh, But they are bringing their case to the floor, start Starting now, proceeding through the afternoon and through the rest of the week, Brian. Eamon, so if the vote does not pass, it just kind of goes away. The vote does pass. You get that simple majority. It goes on. How long could this stretch on, theoretically? Well, we expect it to stretch at least through the weekend. This will be a much quicker impeachment trial than we saw last year when the president, the former president, was uh, impeached for the first time. Uh, This time, both sides have a reason to rush. The Republicans want to simply get this behind them. The Democrats want to be able to move on with the Biden agenda as quickly as possible. Uh, So this will be a speedier proceeding. Uh, They were expected to take Saturday off. Now that doesn't look like it's going to happen. Uh, So I think they're going to be working right through the weekend. And we could see this all wrapped up by early next week, Brian. 
All right, Eamon Jabbers in D.C. Eamon, thank you very much. All right, coming up on the exchange, youth sports is anything but child's play. Could become a $77 billion business in just the next decade, if not sooner. And all of you weekend coaches, listen up. After the break, we're going to speak with NFL great Russell Wilson and former TV exec Ben Sherwood about their new huge app launch called Mojo. Plus, Austin as the new Atherton, Madison, the new Mountain View. Why not? By venture capitalists and their money are fleeing the Golden State. And are rumors of the mall's death greatly exaggerated? That story and more coming up. This is The Exchange on CNBC. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. All right, welcome back. Well, did you know that nearly 70% of all kids permanently drop out of youth sports by the time they're just 13 years old? Sometimes because their experience is only as good or as bad as the coaching they get. That is why a new app called Mojo aims to provide better coaching for kids age 4 to 13. And why not? The global youth sports market is supposed to grow to more than $77 billion in the next five years. Here now is NFL great Russell Wilson, the pride of the collegiate Cougars. Go Richmond. And a founding partner of Mojo and this year's winner of the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year Award. And the man behind the launch of the app, former top Disney exec and TV guru, Ben Sherwood. Ben and Russell, thank you both very much for joining us here on CNBC. Russell, talk to us about Mojo. Right now, right now, it's primarily focused on soccer. I know you're a pretty doggone good baseball player who also apparently plays football. Where does this go? How big can Mojo get, and why did you get involved? Well, I'm super fired up. Obviously, first of all, it's glad, I'm glad to be on here with you guys and talk about Mojo. Mojo's got a chance to be uh, to bring all the Mojo globally. You know, we're really excited uh, because the reality is, is that you know what parents do love is being a parent of, of three uh, awesome kids who love sports and are active and everything else. Um, we know as parents, you got to get your kids outside, you got to get your kids involved. And what we've experienced with COVID and everything else, the reality is, is that to be on their phones, to be able to give them technology, but also for us parents to really know how to teach the game. So we're starting off with soccer. Uh, we're going to, of course, we're going to have some American football along the way here and other sports. And we're really fired up. I'm excited to partner up, uh, you know, with my partner. I'm, I'm Ben Sherwood. Obviously, he has uh, so much knowledge of, of technology and everything else and more. And I'm really excited about what we can do globally and bring some global sports stars around the world here with Mojo. Yeah, Ben, listen, I think this was a surprising pivot for many for you. Obviously, one of the top TV executives in the United States, ABC, Harvard, all this stuff. And yet I see these pictures, by the way, of you and I think your son with all your Angels gear on as a longtime fan. You and I are the only Angels fans. Go Angels. And I wonder why this pivot is the opportunity so big that there's no way you would even just stay in the regular media world. First of all, I have to say I'm a Dodgers fan, and 
Little League gets you to do just about anything. So the only thing that would get me into an Angels uniform was to coach my son because he was on the Angels. Important clarification. The answer is that <laughs> nothing has made me happier in the last 12 years than coaching my boys, Will and Charlie, in four different sports. And so when I left the Walt Disney Company, what do you do next? The answer is that youth sports is broken. They're problems. And everybody who's ever tried to coach knows that it's hard. It's intimidating. It's aggravating. And the resources that are, that are out there are kind of frustrating. And so we put together an amazing team with Russell and with a great technologist, my partner and co-founder, Reed Schaffner, and a terrific team. And we are setting out to try to fix what's broken in youth sports and bring the magic back to soccer first. And then as Russ said, we're going to scale to all kinds of sports, basketball and baseball and flag football. And Russell's even pushing us globally to India, to cricket. So we, we have big plans. And you're right, the market is huge. There are about 40 to 50 million kids in the U.S. who play organized sports. There are another 500 million around the world. And as you mentioned at the outset, that global market is going to reach $77 billion by the year 2026. And so we're yeah. going after yeah. parents who coach and then parents who are on the team. And we think there's a really big opportunity there. Yeah, and you've got the free product and you've got the premium product. Ben, one more quickly to you before back to Russell. What's the difference? What am I getting on the paid product at 20 bucks a year versus the free product? The, the free product available in the App Store right now is for a season of soccer, one team, and one practice. When you upgrade to the 1999 version, Mojo Plus, you get an unlimited number of practices per week. You can coach an unlimited number of teams, and we unlock a bunch of additional features, additional premium content, mm -hmm. and a bunch of additional tools. So that premium version, you get more, and that basic version, everybody can play. You just go right in there, download the app, and you can start coaching a season of soccer right away, one team, one practice a week. You know, Russell, I want to pivot a bit to, to football, obviously, your current sport. And I'm sure you watched, or maybe you didn't. Did, did you watch the Super Bowl? Well, yeah, I think every, every, uh, everybody watched the Super Bowl. I think every young kid, I know my kids were, were watching. I was, I was at the Super Bowl. Um, I was fortunate and blessed to be able to uh, win Man of the Year this year. And so what, what a blessing that is. And Walter Payton, I know my dad loved him and everything else. But I think back to when I was a young kid watching the Super Bowls and uh, you know, kids all over the world watching it. So, uh, but yeah, I was able to watch it. It was, it was a, it was a game that Tom obviously. You were, that's step. right. You were because the Walt Walter Payton man of the year, you were in the box. I think that, okay. With, you know, with the mass and they clipped to it and it's hard to know. Yeah. So by the way, congrats. It's an awesome awards, a humanitarian award and one of the NFL's biggest honors. So this year though, I'm sure you've seen some of the numbers, Russell, that you were there and, and I did watch and Ben probably watched, but the, the overall TV ratings seem to be down big, lowest in more than 15 years. Do you, do you believe that as an NFL player, or do you think that, and this is probably a good question for Ben as well, with streaming and everything else that's changed in the media, that the interest in the NFL is still just as high, but the metrics may not reflect it? I, I think the interest in, in, in the National Football League is growing like you know, crazy like never before. You know, what's interesting is I'm also chairman of NFL Flag, um, and it's growing like crazy. It's growing like wildfires in a positive way. It's, it's such an amazing thing um, to be a part of NFL flag. And 
when you think about all the youth kids and when you think about everybody who's participating, everybody who wants to watch, there's nothing better than uh, these young kids wearing NFL teams, logos and everything all over the world. And, 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 and so I'm fired up to be a part of the NFL flag. And so as you think about the game growing you think about streaming, you think about everything. I, I remember when I came into the league nine and a half years ago, the game looked completely different. There wasn't all this AWS stuff going on. There was, I, we had paper sheets, you know, now we're looking at everything on a surface. And so technology is everything. And I think that's why, we're so interested on in what we can do with Mojo and partnering up with some of the great, um, you know, great brands as well and great people and the great athletes around the world, but also great coaches. And I think that's why Mojo is such an intriguing thing for the youth, but also in the National Football League. And I think NFL flag has a chance with Mojo. I think there's so much there around the world and technology now is everything. And so I think that's what our team with Mojo has really done a great job with. And I think as an NFL player, that's I'm really excited about with the game growing in every aspect. If if I can add there, ben, I think that one of, one of the jump things. In. What do you do? You think the ratings were accurate for the NFL, for the Super Bowl? I'm I'm past I'm past commenting on the ratings, but I will give you one thought about where Russell was going, and I think he's totally right. Which is that if you want people to watch the NFL in the years ahead, if you want people to watch baseball and basketball, the most important thing, and all of the commissioners know, is to make sure that young people are playing these sports because when you play these sports as a kid. You're more likely to watch them when you're an adult. There is a direct line between them. And at Mojo, our goal is to get kids out onto the field with their moms and dads so that the parents have more fun and it's more enjoyable to coach, so the kids have more fun playing, bring the magic back to sports, and we develop those lifelong fans and all the lifelong habits that come from playing sports like watching and watching on TV and going to games and buying tickets and buying merchandise. And so we're, we're part of this important ecosystem that starts at, really at the age of four. And that lifelong fandom yeah. begins at four, and we track them at Mojo from four to about 14, and then we hand them off to the bigger brands and the bigger businesses that care about you from 14 to 34. Yeah. But if you start early, you build fans for life, and that's what we're trying to do. Fans of sport and all the yeah. benefits, because sports is such an amazing teacher. And Russell, maybe build family for life. Before I let you go, I'll give you a chance to, to give a shout out to anybody out there in your past. What was the best coaching experience that you had? Was there a moment that stuck out to you? Maybe when you were a kid playing Little League or Pop Warner football in Virginia, one coach out there that really made a difference? You know, I, I've had some amazing coaches in my lifetime. I think that's why I've, I'm so excited about Mojo and so excited about the process. And I think that when I reflect back on my youth, I go to really three people that have really affected me, two in the family and one outside of my family. But when I was young, you know, my dad and my brother, I distinctly remember my dad hitting me ground balls at shortstop in the hole and me having to throw it back and me visualizing myself being like Derek Jeter and just over and over and over again. I remember me throwing deep post routes to my brother deep down, uh, deep down from the right to the left, uh, right, right on the goalpost just for touchdowns and just practicing and repping and repping. My dad used to wake us up at five, five thirty in the morning. And I'd go throw at, you know, five thirty, six o'clock mm. in the morning, go pick grounders and do all that. And just the work ethic we had. So my, my, my dad and my brother were instrumental in my success and what they were able to teach me. And they played the game. So they gave me so much knowledge. I think the other person was a guy who's no longer living, but um, this guy named Sanford Boysaw, who was my baseball coach. And he was just he was a great coach. He really taught me the game of baseball. And that was a, a great experience for me. And the last person I got to shout out is, is I got to shout out Coach McFall. He was my, my head football coach in high school. And just he really loved the game, but he also loved his players. And he really let us play free and go for it. And 
it was always one of the best things I ever learned. So those, those four people, I got a shout out and uh, they, they got the mojo. And Hey, Craig, there you go. And to the, uh, Ryan, yep. I, I just, I want to say one thing. Guys. Like, yeah, go ahead. Go, no, you go ahead, Ben, wrap it up. Yeah. Just, 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 we think there's a great coach inside everybody. And we think every mom and dad who wants to be out there on the field should have the tools, the trusted resources to, to get out there and to find the coach inside them and to have more fun with their kids. And someday maybe they'll have a Russell Wilson in the, in, and a man of the year. That's, that's, but, but there's a great coach inside everybody. They certainly, they certainly might. Ben, well said, Russell, great shout out to, to uh, your, your coach, Sanford. And uh, go Cougars, Collegiate High School as well, guys. Look forward to it. I still don't understand cricket. Been trying for years. I'll check it out on the <laughs> Mojo app. Guys, have a great day. Y'all take care. See you guys. All right, on deck. Well, we just talked about it. The headline says it was the lowest rated Super Bowl in years. But is that the whole story? It may not be. We're going to tell you why coming up. Plus, the race for the vaccines. The very latest numbers on where we really stand right now and don't forget, download the CNBC app if you haven't already. We're back, Dow up 18 points. Stick around. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. All right, welcome back to The Exchange. It is time now for your daily vaccination update, where we really stand right now in the race for the shots. And the numbers are pretty good. 42.5 million doses have been administered, with 32.3 million Americans getting at least one dose, which, even with one shot, remember, does reduce risk. So you do the numbers, that means about 12.5% of American adults over the age of 18 have had at least one shot. And though there's been a lot of stories out there about supplies and shortages, that is starting to ease. Pfizer and Moderna both continue to ramp up their production And so the White House, about an hour ago, says they should be able to deliver about 5% more vaccines to the states next week as this week and this week was raised from last week. There's your real vaccine numbers. All right, now to Wilford Frost with a CNBC News update. Well, Brian, good afternoon to you. Uh, Here's what's happening at this hour. Police say multiple people have been shot at a healthcare clinic in Buffalo, Minnesota. One suspect uh, has been taken into custody. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says today the government won't charge interest uh, for at least one year on overdue taxes from COVID-related income support programs. President Biden will visit Wisconsin next week in his first official trip beyond his home state of Delaware. And the head of the country's most powerful teachers union is pushing to get students back into classrooms in a way that's safe for everyone. Tune in to the news with Shepard Smith tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern time to hear Randy Weingarten, the head of uh, the American Federation of Teachers, uh, explain how it should be done. That's the CNBC News update for this hour. Back to you. All right, Wilf, we'll see you on Closing Bell. Thank you. All right, well, we have much more coming up on the exchange. Boeing warning the White House over COVID testing, malls, 
they might bounce back sooner than expected. Did Super Bowl viewers get bored of Brady and DoorDash making a big splash in the robotics world? That is all ahead on Rapid Fire. We're back right after this. Boeing's warning to the White House, Simon says profits, DoorDash bullish on salad-making robots, and more. It's all in today's Rapid Fire, folks. Here now with their takes on these stories, Julia Borston, Bob Pisani, and Courtney Reagan. A lot to get through. Let's start with this. Topic one, executives at Boeing warning requiring negative COVID tests aboard domestic flights could be an economic disaster, not just for airlines. It's part of a letter I was sent to the White House last week. It was obtained by Reuters. Federal officials began requiring mandatory COVID tests for international trips last month. But Boeing says doing it for domestic flights as well could have a ripple impact across the entire economy and industry. Bob, is this just Boeing whining or is there really some existential financial risk here? There may be some financial risk, but I think they have a point. I mean, they're, they're basically saying, why are you picking on us? What about the restaurants where everybody gathers? Or what about the hotels where everybody uh, gathers? And they have a point. If, particularly if this new strain kind of gets out there in a big way, there could be real issues with transmissions. It's not the airlines. It's where you gather that matters. You know, Brian, I'm wondering if, if we start getting rapid, really good rapid tests, maybe this will be less of an issue. You show up at the pharmacy, you do the rapid test, and you go to the airport, and you show them your test results. Uh, hopefully, that will go some way towards mitigating the problem. But they do have a fairness question here. Yeah, maybe. And by the way, if you think the debate over vaccines is hot, wait till the, 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 the debate over cheap at-home rapid tests whether they're effective, whether we administer them properly. Julia Borston, I'm flying on Thursday. I went out and got a test yesterday. I'll get the results tomorrow. I just do it for the safety of those around me, whatever. You know, it's annoying, but you have to do it if you're going to get on that plane. Would it make you feel better about traveling if everybody had to present a negative test as they walked on? Absolutely, Brian. I mean, I have not gotten on an airplane since this pandemic began, and I think that the testing would be reassuring. But I think there's this whole other thing that we're not talking about yet, which is the vaccine. What if you don't get a test, but you show you've had the vaccine? I mean, that could be another thing that people would be showing on their cell phone along with their boarding pass proof of vaccination. So that's going to be a whole other thing to consider here in addition to just testing. Yeah, and it actually, Julie, you may be interested to know, I heard that Clear may be experimenting, you know, the security system with your biometrics, with putting your vaccination records in that so that they would know automatically if you've been vaccinated. I'm flying Thursday. I'll let you know how it goes. All right. Topic number two, Simon says profits, the nation's largest mall operator predicting higher earnings for 2021 after seeing improved rent collections and signs of recovery in retail Simon Property Group says it collected 90% of combined second, third, and fourth quarter net rents as of last week. However, let's not forget, it also wrote off more than $800 million after many tenants struggled. Courtney Reagan, is this okay? Simon has, if not the greatest collection of high-end malls, at least one of them in the United States. They've got tenants that are rich and probably doing okay. Is this a Simon thing? Or do you think the death of the mall overall has been greatly exaggerated? 
So I think you make a very good point when we're talking about the Simon Property Malls. They do have the strongest portfolio of malls, arguably, of the major mall chain. So that is one thing. Yeah, they're seeing improving rents. Are things perfect? No. Occupancy is a little over 91%. That's not bad, but it's certainly not as good as it once was. And Simon's doing a lot of interesting things. They bought 80% of Taubman. They've been buying these bankrupt retailers, often in partnership with authentic brand groups. They bought Aeropostel first. They have Forever 21. They ended up buying JCPenney because that was an anchor in many of their malls, and they didn't want those stores to be empty. Sort of remains to be seen how that's really going to work out for them. I don't know that the death of the mall is over-exaggerated, but look, I think we're going to need considerably fewer malls than we have now, but I think of all the operators, Simon is probably best positioned. I'll just say anecdotally, my brother told me that he went to a mall in Ohio. It wasn't a Simon mall. It was a Brookfield mall, but he said it was more crowded last weekend than he's ever seen a mall, even at Christmas. Wow. You know, it's nice they got 90%. I'm sure a lot of uh, people have some things nice. to say. Well, Bob Pisani, have you been to the uh, the King of Prussia Mall lately? To the, lo- the Sofa uh, Love Sack store there? Not in a long there? time. No, but it's, look, people are going stir-crazy, so they're going out. It, it, it's nice they got 90% of the rent collected, but they didn't talk about the bankruptcies, the rent uh, they had the write-off against the, uh, the, the write-offs they had against the uncollected rent. So here's the issue. It, can the real estate portfolio recovered at the prior levels. So the bet here is we're going to get declining infection rates. We're going to get rapid vaccination. We're all going to go out and hang out in the malls all of a sudden. But that's a pretty tall order. If you look at this stock in the last five years, the stock hit a high in 2016. It was 230. It's been going down every year since then. It's about $100. The reason is because the business is declining. It's terrible. And they have they have really difficult time with rent cuts. They've had store closures right across the... I, I don't think people are going to go roaring back to the malls necessarily. And I think the online business is doing very well. I think this is very hopeful. I hope they do well. But look at the trend, folks. Yeah, well, there might be that that biometric vaccine check going into restaurants and malls. Not saying I heard anything, just saying before this is all said and done. All right, topic three, the Super Bowl shuffle. You remember that? Well, how about the Super Bowl slump? CBS announcing this year's championship game attracted just over 96 million viewers. Now, let's be clear. That is a gigantic number overall, but for the Super Bowl, it was the lowest number since 2007. There was perhaps a silver lining in all this. This was, of course, the most streamed game ever, averaging 5.7 million viewers per minute. That is a 69% jump from the high set last year. So, Julia, every year more and more people are going to be streaming. Do we trust these numbers, why is it so hard to figure out in this day and age how many people are actually watching a sports event? Well, look, one thing's for sure, more people stream this than ever before, and that was the result of a number of factors, including cord cutting and the fact that CBS made this game available along with the NFL, made it available on more platforms than ever before. But in terms of why overall ratings were down, because they were down, CBS pointed to the fact that there was that 22-point margin of victory. And that was actually the second largest margin of victory for a Super Bowl in the past 18 years. So they were saying it's because people wanted to tune out once they figured out who was going to win. And it wasn't actually that exciting of a game. So that was part of their excuse. 
Yeah. It actually wasn't, wasn't I heard this Bob the Bronin, second time in everybody three felt years? Bob. It wasn't it wasn't a good let's be clear, it wasn't a good football game. I mean the bucket the Tampa Bay, but, of course they got a lot of issues with the coach, the coach's son's a lot of emotional things going on there. Yeah, but wasn't this the second time in three years it didn't hit 100 million viewers, I think? I mean, this is not like all of a sudden out of the blue. The, the world is getting more dispersed. People are doing more things. I didn't even watch the game. I was on TikTok doing taco videos the whole time. I had a wonderful time. They have amazing recipes on TikTok, let me tell you. Brian, you know all about that, don't you? Is, this a real, is, that, a real, is that a real story, Bob Pisani? Is that true? You're t- Julia, you're laughing at me. Julia knows. She knows about TikTok recipes. I mean, I'm absolutely sure because she's on the cutting edge of Bob everything. Bob Pisani is spending. Were you making yeah, the tacos or are you is... watching the video? There's... I'm going to send you the link, rapid Ryan. fire the, the, just on this This topic, woman is amazing. But I'm getting yelled at by the producers. Okay, fine. There we go. Picante Pisani. What, what, I don't know what your TikTok name is. We're going to get you one. That's a whole, We're doing all this tomorrow. That's the entire show. All right, finally. And, Bob, maybe chime in on this. Salad-making robot vending machines. How about that? No, it's not a Ray Bradbury novel. It's the real DoorDash, buying startup called Chowbotics. Chowbotics specializes in automated food prep, including a salad-making robot called, what else? Sally. According to the Wall Street Journal, the line of thinking is for the deal to use technology to help restaurants expand menus without, you guessed it, hiring actual humans or allowing them to try freestanding locations like an airport kiosk or bus terminal. Terms of a deal have not even reported yet. It may not actually happen. DoorDash shares are spiking today, perhaps on the news. Courtney Reagan, uh, bad news for humans, I guess good news for robots, unless the salad makers learn how to make the robots or service them. That's the idea. Let me ask you just this. Uh, as a marathoner, would you eat a salad that comes out of an airport vending machine that is of questionable service date? You know, not my favorite things. Prepackaged salads aren't always uh, the best. They don't always taste the freshest. So I guess I'd want to know a little bit more about the process and how long the salad and the carrots and the cucumbers have been sitting sort of in those silos that we just showed. I just hope that this doesn't make uh, DoorDash even more expensive. We had an experience in Ohio. We were ordering for our family. And all of a sudden, when we looked at the total, we thought, God, that's a lot of money. It was like 40% of the total was in fees for DoorDash. So we just went ahead and actually placed the order over the phone and went and picked it up. Maybe you could call us cheap. I don't know. I like to say parsimonious, but I was shocked at the fees that DoorDash caused. So if they're going to be buying more businesses, I don't want these fees to keep adding to my orders. Novel concept. Get in your car, go to the store, pick it up. I always, Julia, we got to go, Bob and Julia. I I always go for the half-off sushi. Day-old sushi, 50% off, (laughs) nothing better. Can't wait for Bob's sushi-making videos to pop up. Julia, Bob, and Courtney Reagan. (laughs) Courtney definitely won that round. Guys, I'll appreciate it. There's just, I don't even know what to say. And that's never happened to me before. All right, coming up here on The Exchange as we roll on. From hero pay to vaccine incentives, some grocery chains taking steps to make sure their workers are safe. But why do they need to be paid to get vaccinated? Stick around. All right, welcome back to The Exchange. Well, grocery store workers have been at the front lines of this pandemic since the beginning. But not all have been afforded the protection or the recognition that many deserve. Sarah Eisen joining us now with a closer look is what is being proposed 
and how companies are responding. Sarah. Brian, during the height of the pandemic, stores like Kroger and Albertsons gave employees extra hazard pay. But now that those programs have ended, a number of West Coast cities are considering hero pay ordinances, actually making it law that these companies pay a higher amount to their employees. In fact, Long Beach, a city in California, became the first to do so, mandating $4 extra per hour. The result? Kroger decided to close two of its stores. Kroger telling me that those stores were financially already underwater and adding a nearly 30% increase in cost when it comes to labor pay only made them untenable from a profitability perspective. Now, obviously, the union that represents the grocery workers called out Kroger going hard after it, saying they were just trying to make a statement and scare other municipalities from passing these rules. They called it a ruthless attempt to create a chilling effect that will discourage other cities from doing what is right. But we also talked to Albertsons, which operates a Safeway in the area. They said they're keeping the store open for now, but they are looking at changing operating hours and staffing levels in the areas where ordinances are being enforced. Translation, more job cuts in the industry could be coming. This is not the only city that's doing this. Both Seattle and L.A. are moving forward with similar mandates. In Seattle's case, there's no specified end date making it nearly impossible for big and small businesses in the grocery business to be able to plan for what comes next. Bottom line, grocery stores are a notoriously low profit margin business. And while they did reap big money during the pandemic, billion dollar profits, labor is still a huge expense for this industry. And just like the CBO, Brian, warned just this week that a federal minimum wage hike to $15 would help boost Americans out of poverty, poverty, it would result in more than a million job losses. These municipalities, in trying to reward frontline workers, may be threatening their jobs. Yeah, we got to recognize these people. As we were all scared running into stores, they were there for hours on end working to make sure that we had our supplies. And a huge shout out to every single one of them, because I, I, I wouldn't have been brave enough to do it. Sarah Eisen, an important story there in grocery stores. We'll look forward to seeing more on Closing Bell. Sarah, thank you very much. Thank you. All right, coming up, why Madison may be the new Mountain View, at least when it comes to billions in venture capital. All right, welcome back. Well, 2020 was a record-shattering year for venture capital. Total deal value topped $150 billion for the first time ever. Now, much of that going to startup technology firms in California's Bay Area. But PitchBook is making an interesting prediction for this year. Silicon Valley, center of that VC universe, may see its share of deals shrink below 20%. Here now to discuss this and where deals are going is PitchBook analyst, Kyle Stanford. Kyle, welcome to the program. What have your studies found? Is this a permanent shift or is this just that rich VC moved to his ranch in Wyoming for a couple of months to wait out the pandemic, but will ultimately return to Sand Hill Road? You know, thanks, Brian. And that's definitely something that we're really interested in seeing um, how everything plays out over the past few years. You know, scrutinizing individual companies and investors' reasons for leaving the Bay Area is going to, you know, produce a wide area of factors. But this is a trend that we've seen, you know, really growing over the past, you know, five to ten years. There's been a concerted effort by the industry to get capital and deal flow to areas outside of the Bay Area. 
not because the Bay Area is, is declining or, or is not what it used to be, but because great companies are being developed and, and grown everywhere. Um, that being said, we do believe that the Bay Area is going to continue to be the center of VC. Over the past five years, $151 billion has been raised by around 900 funds in the Bay Area, and that capital is not going to immediately disappear. Um, you know, we do think it is a overall yeah, Kyle, very nobody's, positive. Let's be, I'm looking at your data, looking at your data here. Yeah. Nobody's crying for Silicon Valley. I mean, we say it may shrink a little bit this year. It's still probably above where it was about five years ago. Let's not make any mistake. Sure. Silicon Valley is not toast. The Bay Area is not over. Yeah, some people have left, yeah. but it is still going to punch well above its population weight. Will it not? No, that's exactly what we feel. I um, mean, you know, the Bay Area is going to continue to um, you know, develop and grow those companies. If you look at the track record of the companies that have exited over a billion dollars, a majority of those are still in the Bay Area. And for other ecosystems to really grow and develop and, and you know, punch above their weight, they're going to need to come and, and have those exits to draw more investors and develop you know, local capital that's able to support those ecosystems. You had 321 what you call mega deals closing in 2020. I mean, the jump of nearly a hundred is just insane. Is it that there's so much money out there? Is it that everyone's sitting at home and bored, so why not invest in something? Or is it that there really are truly, Kyle, that many new great companies that deserve that kind of investment? Well, if you look at kind of what's happened at that top end of the market, you know, companies are staying private much longer and extending their growth in the private markets. That has drawn a lot of the, pri- the public equity managers that are you know, traditionally in um, the IPOs and, and um, just investing in public markets into the private markets. And they have a lot more capital than traditional VC firms. You know, so when we see these mega deals being closed at you know, 320 last year, and we expect probably more this year as well, a lot of it has to do with those non-traditional investors investing in the private markets and making sure that they are able to capture some of the growth that is happening there. Well, over the, for the past 10 years or so, we're looking at IPOs, the average um, years from founding to IPO for VC-backed company at, at over nine years. Um, and, it, and that's continued to be you know, growing and extending the, these private lifetimes of the, of the companies. Yeah, making, ensuring more profitability for the early investors and maybe a little bit less for the mom and pops buying the actual equity. Still really <laughs> interesting data. Kyle Stanford of PitchBook. Kyle, pleasure to have you on. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks so much, Brian. All right, you're welcome. Well, that does it here for The Exchange. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.